welcome to the Serviced Accommodation Property Podcast. This podcast by Kevin Paneskis, also known as the Property Soldier, covers all aspects of serviced accommodation and how to make it a profitable and sustainable business. Kevin started investing in property in 1991 whilst serving in the British Army and now owns a multi-million pound property portfolio and serviced accommodation business and is a best-selling author. And now your host. Kevin Paneskis. Hi, Kevin, Property Soldier here. Okay, so multitasking as usual. I am doing this on my social media channels. And also, I'm recording it for a podcast, my service combination property podcast. Okay, so what I'll do is do some myth busting, myth busting for you. And the most common myths that I encounter in serviced accommodation and hopefully clear up some of the issues uh, that a lot of people are currently experiencing out there um, in the different forums and everybody's got opinion, haven't they? And so uh, you are welcome to my opinion on this. I'm the lead trainer for service accommodation at Progressive Property. And so I've done an awful lot of research and I've been doing service accommodation for a number of years now. And so the first one I'd like to address and potentially clear up is on planning. And by the way, anyone who's got any comments, uh, then please just type your comments in if you're watching this live on on the social media uh, channels. Uh, Also, you might be watching it on Catch Up. By all means, uh, type some comments and questions in and I will have a look back after I have done this and perhaps answer some of those uh, points that you might have made. So planning then. Here's the confusing confusing thing about planning, and it is that as far as planning is concerned, serviced accommodation should be C1. Now, before everybody starts getting all excited with me and saying, see, I told you, I told you, I told you, you need to apply for planning, here's where the confusion sits. As far as um, serviced accommodation is concerned, as far as planning is concerned, Serviced accommodation is doing hotel, guest house, B&B. So that's, that's the way planning look at, at um, serviced accommodation, hotel, guest house, B&B. I have to excuse me, my phone's going crazy on me right now and it's, uh, it's distracting me. And so when we do serviced accommodation, most of us who are doing serviced accommodation, we are actually doing what's called furnished holiday let. So if you've got a house or an apartment and you are inviting guests, a group of guests to turn up on, you know, one day, they could be group of contractors, they could be um, family, they could just be a group of friends, and they all check into a property on the same day, and they all leave on the same day. Well, guess what? The activity that's taking place there is furnished holiday let and or short term rental. And so the most appropriate use class for that, because there isn't a bespoke one for that, the most appropriate use class is C3 for that. And if you look at planning and you look at C3, it's it's someone's principal or secondary residence. So guess what? What you could be staying in service accommodation um, Monday to Friday and you could be going home at the weekends to to your primary residence. So the service accommodation is your secondary residence. 
And until such time as, as planning creates a separate use class for furnished holiday let or short-term rental, that's the most appropriate use class is C3. So here's where the confusion comes in. If you went to planning and said, I want to do serviced accommodation, uh, do I need planning? They'll, they'll look at their little list of, uh, they'll say, well, you know, what property are you talking about? And on that property is going to say it's C3. And you've asked whether you can do serviced accommodation. And yes, they might well say that you need to apply for change of use for C1. Um, and so that's that's where the confusion comes in on this. We should all really be calling what most of us are doing in service accommodation. We should be calling it uh, furnished holiday let or short term rental. We shouldn't really be calling it service accommodation because all we are causing is confusion, confusion because different people have different opinions of what serviced accommodation is. Now, another scenario which causes confusion on this is that some people will do, they will have a house and that house could be a, a C3 house, let's say a larger C3 house, or it could be a HMO. So it could be C4 or it could be sui generis for a larger HMO. And some people will do SA by the room. So they'll be letting out the rooms independently to strangers who are not connected or don't know each other at all. And different people arriving and leaving on different days. Now, as far as HMR, sorry, as planning is concerned, that is more like a hostel. That is more like a, a guest house or a and b And so they are probably going to um, have a view on that, that that should require a, a, a change of use because a material change of use has, has occurred with that property. And so, yes, they might say, well, no, that, that type of service combination requires a change of use. But hopefully you can understand the difference here. There's a difference between having a, a house, a C3 house, and using that as a furnished holiday let, where this, a group of people arrive on one day and they all leave on the same day. There's a difference between that and letting the rooms out individually. So that's, again, where a little bit of confusion comes in on that type of scenario. So hopefully that clears it up. C3, for most of us, is the appropriate use class for... What most of us are doing in service accommodation, which is what I call whole house or whole apartment service accommodation to one group of people arriving and leaving on the same day. OK, so the other confusion that um, arises a lot is around business rates, business rates versus um, council tax. Now, the vast majority of people out there who are doing service accommodation or furnish hold they let are... Um, doing so and paying council tax. Now, if the local authority uh, uh, contacted you and said you should actually be on business rates, well, guess what? They are right. You should actually be on business rates. If you are available as service accommodation for 140 days, um, then you should, and actually let in Wales for 70 uh, days, then yes, you should be on business rates, not council tax. But here's the rub, here's the thing, an awful lot of local authorities are not actually enforcing it. Then they could quite easily go through a, a list, or they could go to Airbnb, they could go to booking.com and find all the properties that are being used as service accommodation on their patch and send out letters, couldn't they? So why aren't they? Well, there's different opinions on this. I spoke to a, a business um, rates surveyor on this and, and he basically said that, well, 
council tax is collected by local government and business rates is collected by central government and local authorities only get a a small percentage of that business rates back from central government and so they would rather just keep properties on council tax so that was his view on the matter it could just be that they are under understaffed and and haven't got around to doing all that all that stuff but here's the rub a property used as service accommodation stroke furnished holiday let uh, available for 140 days should be for, uh, listed for business rates however because of small business rates relief, the vast majority of properties out there being used as service accommodation means that you could claim small business rates relief and pay no business rates and therefore no council tax. So actually, it's not something for most people to be worried about going on to business rates. And throughout recent times and the lockdowns, etc., those people on business rates, they've been sending me messages saying, thank you very much for the training, Kev, because I, I deliver service accommodation training and I, I do say to people, you should go on to business rates uh, because these lots of us have been having large grants, not loans, but large grants because we are running small businesses and because of lockdowns, small businesses were getting um, decent grants, you know, tens of thousands of pounds worth of grants. And so, again, that's something that has been happening for people that have been operating correctly in service combination and those people that are on business rates and not council tax. But most properties correctly assessed for business rates, because some people get afraid of business rates, most properties correctly assessed for business rates shouldn't be paying any more in business rates than council tax, even if they don't get relief. Because if you've got lots and lots and lots of properties, larger properties um, that um, are all on business rates, then you won't get relief on all of them. So I don't want to go into too much detail on that, but you just need to speak to your valuation office agency, the VOA, at your local authority, and they will advise you on the business rates um, calculation that your property would achieve it goes on the single bed spaces in the property and there's a few other things involved but ultimately what would your business rates be and therefore you can um, safely move over from council tax to business rates and then claim full relief on that so that clears that one up hmo then a lot of people especially letting agents say that um, the property because you're going to be accommodating you know, three or more people from different households, therefore it needs to be a HMO. And unfortunately, um, you know, letting agents out there, you're wrong. And the reason why you're wrong is because a HMO is somebody's home. A HMO is somebody's residence. It's their principal prime residence. And a serviced accommodation unit or a furnished holiday let or short-term rental cannot be their home. Um, you should definitely not let it be their home. It should You should not let people in on an AST. I'll come to ASTs and different contracts in a minute. You are letting somebody in on a short-term nightly basis. So therefore, it does not sit inside the Housing Act. Therefore, HMO regulations do not apply. Therefore, it cannot and is not a HMO. And you, you might have to tread carefully with um, letting agents because what you don't want to be doing is just telling them they're wrong bluntly. Uh, a couple of things I've done in order to sort of you know, lead them by the nose a little bit in the right direction on this is I've actually written to the local HMO officer at their, in their local authority and um, actually posed the scenario how I'm going to be using the property as a furnished holiday let short term rental. 
And they'll ask the question, therefore, does it need to be a HMO? Does it need a HMO license, etc.? And the reply I've obviously had back from the HMO officer is no. And then I forwarded that on to the letting agent just for clarification. So, um, again, that's a little tip for you on how to deal with agents that are belligerently telling you that it is a HMO because they might be a letting agent um, and they might have HMOs and therefore they are just assuming that because um, where, where they've read uh, that any property with three or more people from two or more households has to be a HMO, that's they're just assuming that uh, the service accommodation unit also has to adhere to those regulations. So that is the situation there. It doesn't have to be a HMO, doesn't have to have a license, doesn't need fire doors, doesn't need fire alarm system. It just needs to tick the boxes that a an Airbnb, a furnished holiday let property would have. You know, I don't know if you've ever stayed in any of those, but they're just a normal house or apartment. In fact, it, I, I, feel, I actually believe that hey, SA needs more regulation because it does fall between the cracks in a few things. So we'd suggest that people get their um, electrical installations done and a certificate for their electrical installations and a gas safety certificate done if there's any gas in the property. But at, there's no rules that state that you need to for a furnished holiday let. It actually says you have to do that for buy to let and HMO, but it doesn't say so for furnished holiday let, but I think it should. So actually, we, we suggest that people do that just to be on the safe side so that then there's never going to be an issue with the, um, the gas or the electric in a property. So hopefully that clears that one up. No. Now then, ASTs, company lets, management agreements. So what is right? What is wrong? Well, you do not and should not um, do an AST, an assured shorthold tenancy agreement, when taking a property off an owner or a letting agent to use as service accommodation. Again, that's for the housing act that is for tenants it is not for somebody taking the property to use as serviced accommodation so if you're going to take a property from a letting agent what we suggest you do is a modified company let agreement and ideally you you use that letting agent's company let agreement and you modify it to make it as suitable for how you are going to be using the property for instance an example is you're going to be putting guests in the property. You are not going to be using the property for your employees. And so, yes, you will have to modify that company let agreement with the letting agent's full knowledge that you're modifying it because you've explained how you're going to use the property. It's going to be for your clients, not your employees. So therefore, the letting agent's going to be happy for you to modify their company let agreement. And then anything else that's in that company let agreement that you need to change, there might be something in there that says the letting agent has to be notified of each and every occupant of the property. Well, clearly, that's a non-starter. You're not going to want to do that. You'll explain to the letting agent how that's going to be a complete faff, and hopefully the letting agent will say, okay, yeah, let's change that bit as well. The point to note here is you are the company. You set yourself as ABC, short-term rental, Swansea, whatever it may be, and you go in there and you sign the company let as ABC, short-term rentals, etc. And you are the tenant. And so the letting agent doesn't need to know who is coming and going. It's your clients, but that's already in the agreement. So just to clarify, that's my opinion on taking properties from a letting agent. And ideally, you will use their company let agreement so that they are happy with all the legalities of their own company let agreement. And then if you're going to be taking a property direct from an owner, direct to landlord, effectively what you need to be is the letting agent. So letting agents, when they take properties off owners to use as buy to let, they sign, they get the, the owner to use a, a management agreement or they use a management agreement that they get the owner to sign. Well, when there's no letting agent in play, 
you become the managing agent of the SA property and you sit in between the owner and your guests. So you need a management contract that the owner signs and effectively all the, the, the terms and conditions of the uh, agreement are in that management agreement. And what you do with your guests is your guests sign your terms and conditions to come in and use the property. So yes, if they're coming in via booking.com and Airbnb, they have terms and conditions. But what we choose to do is tick the box that defaults to our terms and conditions. For instance, not allowing parties, not allowing smoking, um, etc. And so that is the agreement that we suggest you use for service accommodation, rent to service accommodation type property. If you're just going to do a straight management agreement with an owner, then you again use a um, management contract and just do it differently to fixed rent. You um, have uh, the management contract set up, so you charge a percentage of revenue. So anyway, those are the three different types of agreement that I suggest. Lease restrictions then. So lease restrictions, a lot of people just assume they will read a, a lease. So leasehold properties, apartments, most apartments are leasehold. Most houses are freehold. So actually, in terms of all of the properties in the UK, over 80% of properties in the UK are freehold. So less than 20% have a lease. So let's just talk about the less than 20% with a lease. A lot of people assume that where it says on the lease, no business use um, in the property, that that means that they can't do service accommodation. I disagree because are people doing business use in in their homes and apartments um other businesses you know have they got e-commerce businesses are they baking cakes that they're selling um etc that's that's a business isn't it so business use is definitely open to interpretation and how you interpret uh, a lease is up to your interpretation and so you could, if you've got an argument that it's not business use, then that is your interpretation. I've actually, on my training, I actually show case law, which proves the point here that even leases that are that on the outside looking in, you would think definitely don't allow service accommodation. High court judges have still said, well, it depends. So you mustn't assume where it says no business use, you can't do service accommodation because let's face it, is buy to let a business. Do landlords have multiple buy-to-lets and effectively those buy-to-lets are creating them an income the answer is yes so the literally the property is being used for business um on a on a c3 title or on a c3 planning use class even it says somebody's principal or secondary residence and so the person staying in the property on a short-term rental it is their secondary residence so it's definitely depends here where what is classed as business use and what isn't classed as business use. So please don't make that assumption. Now, having said that, if there's a block management company and they are completely up in arms and against you doing service combination because it says no business use, then that might be something that sways your decision because life's too short to be arguing with, with people, right? There might be some other residents in the building who are completely dead set against it. And so again, life might be too short to be arguing with different people. So again, you should just make your decision once you weigh up all of the different uh, situations in play here, whether or not you should do service combination or not. Now, if in the lease it says no short-term rentals, then guess what? 
don't do short-term rentals in the lease. I always suggest that you look at the sublease and the head lease because the sublease applies to the apartment and the head lease applies to the whole building. And sometimes one lease will refer to the other for um, the clarification on a certain scenario. So I suggest looking at both, but please just don't discount it because it says no business use. And then the final one that I'm going to talk about before we wrap this one up and I'll have a look, see if anyone's got any questions for me, is purchasing in a limited company. Everyone seems to default to purchasing in a limited company now. The reason why people default to that now is because of Section 24, the anti-landlord tax, where the government are not letting people who own properties in their own name offset their mortgage interest. And so people buy in a limited company in order to still be able to do that because limited companies can still offset mortgage interest. Now, here's the thing, though, that applies to buy to let and HMO, that type of investment property. Section 24 does not apply to serviced accommodation. So therefore, you can still purchase in your own name in order to do serviced accommodation because Section 24 does not apply. So you can actually avoid the extra costs of purchasing a property in a limited company and just buy it in your own name. Because if you're doing service accommodation with, with the, the property, effectively, the income that you are creating is a trading income. Whereas buy to let and HMO is investment income. So when you think about your tax return, if you've got buy to lets and HMOs, you're putting it on the investment property page of the tax return. But if you are doing service accommodation forward slash furnished holiday let, guess what? It goes on the furnished holiday let page of your tax return. Therefore, it's trading activity. Therefore, any mortgage interest you can still offset against your income. So hopefully I've just dispelled the myth there that is that all properties need to be bought in a limited company moving forward. Now, the problem comes when accountants will tell you that because they don't actually um, really understand this either. Um, also, accountants might, under might not understand the significance of capital allowances because about 35% of a property's value, once it's being used as service accommodation, can be claimed as a capital allowance. Well, what does that mean? Well, £100,000 property, 35%, 35 grand. That means that you can earn £35,000 tax-free. So again, that could be £200,000. Uh, sorry, £70,000 tax-free if it's £200,000 property. So that's significant, but most accountants don't appreciate that. So they don't realize that the tax saving either for buying in a limited company because of the capital, sorry, for buying in your own name as a sole trader by offsetting those capital allowances. So again, what you might need to do is get a good capital allowances surveyor to explain this scenario to your accountant just so that they might change their tune a little bit in terms of the advice that they give you um, as to in what which owning entity to be buying properties. You can buy them in your own name. You can buy them in a limited company. You can buy them as a um, in a partnership. You can buy them in a limited liability partnership. There's no right or wrong here, but with a little bit of knowledge and information on with service combination, that can help you make your decision. And you might need to steer your accountant in a certain direction as well when you explain that. Section 24 does not affect service combination and there is significant tax savings because of capital allowances when you are doing service combination as well, forward slash furnished holiday let. Okay, so those are the main myths that I get um, often. 
and I just wanted to dispel those myths. So we're going to wrap up the podcast now by saying here's to your service combination success and remember your future needs you. Thank you for listening to the Service Accommodation Property Podcast. You can also follow me on social media and YouTube by searching The Property Soldier. Also check out my website, www.propertysoldier.co.uk, where you can learn even more about property investing and serviced accommodation.